This is Open Mic Life. Let's go! Welcome to this week's episode. We have a very special guest coming. Welcome back everyone to the very first episode of Open Mic Life in 2024. Happy New Year! I hope you had a wonderful holiday season and got to spend it exactly in the way that you wanted to. If you were not able to celebrate or you had a tough time during the holidays, we see you and we send you our support. On Open Mic Life, we also took a break to recharge and spend quality time with friends and family. I'll be very happy to share a little bit more on that later in the episode with you. I want to start, as always, by thanking you for all your support, especially to the ones that are engaging with us. Please keep sending your feedback as a thank you for your support so far. And to kick off the new year on the right foot, I have prepared a special two-part episode where we're going to be talking about journalism and media with Martin Johnson from RTL Luxembourg. I'm honored to welcome him on Open Mic Life and get his insights on the industry, the ethics and challenges in journalism, and how we can actually navigate media today and the insane amount of content we consume on a daily basis. First things first, let me catch up with Hike and share with you some fun updates and Christmas anecdotes. So, without further ado... Hike on the mic... Hello! Hello, hello! Happy New Year! You too! Damn, that was a melodic hello! <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, pretty lit, New Year, new me, and uh, an old cough that just popped up. Um, I'm a bit uh, sick, but yeah, I'm, go- I'm, I'm alright. Um, I'm quite lit. What about you? I'm super lit. Oh, I'm very excited. Yeah, we haven't seen each other in all of what, um, 10 days. <laughs> Is it 10 days already? Almost, yes. Oh, wow, it feels like a month or more. No, but we had some great time because we actually spent most of the holidays together in Bulgaria and it was very, very fun. Yeah. I'm so happy that you came and it was really another one to remember. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun with you and your family and our friends. For some of them we haven't seen for, uh, wow, years. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of reminiscing and a lot of really good food because, well, as we all, actually we don't all know, but Stiana's family is heavily invested in great cuisine. Like there are chefs in there, there are... So, yeah, obviously, um, you know, visiting you and your family means coming back with a couple of extra kilos. Um, But, you know, I've been hitting the gym. Actually, that's bullshit. I've been meaning to hit the gym, (laughs) (laughs) but since I got sick and um, a good friend of mine who is an MD um, and who is actually going to star in one of the episodes recommended me not to go to the gym while I'm sick. So what about you? How, how what have what have you been 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 doing since uh, since I left to left Bulgaria? 
So since you left Bulgaria, we actually went to Malta and I want to, oh, yeah. first of all, I want to say thank you to uh, my family, to everybody who traveled near and far to uh, Bulgaria, including you, uh, for the holiday so that we can all spend time together and for everybody for hosting us, going along with our ideas and everything. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm really, really touched and I'm very happy that my family puts you know, put puts its mind behind the idea of traditions are there to be kept. So I'm very mm -hmm. happy about that. And thank you for coming. Uh, I also want to thank my boyfriend for joining us uh, in Bulgaria. Another Shout out, year. Henry. Yes, I'm very happy that we were all together. <laughs> and to all of our friends who came to all of the events, to everything. So that was really amazing. And since we're on the topic, and you asked mm -hmm. me what I've been doing since then, I was, uh, as I said, in Malta for mm -hmm. uh, my cousin's wedding. So I want to congratulate her and her wonderful husband and to thank them for making this amazing celebration there and giving us a winter escape and giving us so many memories. And another congratulations is in order to my brother who got engaged yeah. and to his beautiful fiance. <laughs> that was really- That's amazing. amazing. Yes, amazing surprise. Um, you kind of, uh, Okay, no, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, I can say I can say something, right? So, uh, I was there, right, for the weekend, and obviously I had the catch up, you know, dudes catch up. Uh, so me and Johnny, uh, we were um, we were lighting the fire uh, fireplace outside, and then he was like, and obviously I was talking about uh, his um, soon to be fiance, uh, except I didn't know, and then he said like, hey, so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with this girl now, and I ha I hadn't met her before. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen your brother for 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 years. I think two years. Two years, right? Yeah. So a lot has changed since then. And then he said, like, "Hey, so I think I'm ready." And I'm like, "What do you mean, ready?" He's like, "Yeah, ready." I'm like, "What? You want to have babies?" Obviously, <laughs> I have the baby fever, right? And he was like, "Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, sure." And then he said, no, but I, I'm thinking of getting the ring. And I was like, okay, lit. And right after that weekend, you guys were flying to to uh, Malta. And I was like, okay, that's nice. But uh, uh, have you thought about where you're going to do it, what you're going to do? And then he, 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 he just looked at me and he's like, you think, uh, you think Malta is too soon? I'm like... Uh, and I didn't know how far he was, right, with yeah. with this thought process. So I was like, oh, yeah, for sure, Malta is too soon, man. You really have to, like, first drip in the thought with her so that she's kind of prepared for it and everything. He's like, yeah, but she will never see it coming. And, you know, Nobody I know your brother. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I know him. Once he set his mind um, into something, he actually will do it, prepared or not. Uh, <laughs> So he, he was like, I saw some some doubt in his face when when I said, yeah, it's a bit too soon. But then I was like, yeah, but maybe you can plan a trip somewhere. And then he was like, mm -mm -mm. and then afterwards you you sent me a message like, yo, it happened. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, congratulations, Jody. I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, also really happy to hear that I have another reason to uh, come and visit. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so. Uh, we came back with a lot of wonderful emotions. Uh, I'm happy to be back, really, uh, because I also feel like we've been gone for a month. So 
we're back in Luxembourg, and this means that we have a new episode today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who is our guest? Our guest today is Martin Johnson. He is Chef de Keep and Deputy Head of Digital Products in RTL Today in Luxembourg. This Whoa. Chef de Keep. So, you know, I don't have this Latin French background, right? Ich spreche ein klein bisschen Deutsch, aber ne pas parler français too much. He's a team lead of the English division of uh, RTL in Luxembourg, which is focused on the internationals in Luxembourg. So they're creating okay. content exclusively in English, catering to this part of the society in Luxembourg. And this is one of the reasons why we got in touch. And it's also one of the topics that we discussed during the interview. Oh, that's really cool, actually. You know, so just to make, make, make it a bit clear, right? RTL by itself, it's a really famous um, media company globally. I mean, they're active in the Netherlands, they're active in uh, Germany, Nordic countries. And the funny thing is, not a lot of people know it, like a lot of people know in the Netherlands, for example, RTL 4, 5, RTL 7, but they don't know that RTL actually stands for Radio Television Luxembourg. So it originates from Luxembourg. So that actually gives us a great opportunity to gain some, you know, interesting insights Definitely. What are you actually planning to ask him? You know, what are some topics that, you know, before I send in some of my, uh, you know, controversial questions, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe tell me what, what will be like an icebreaker? For you or for me? <laughs> oh, well, no, I think for your conversation, you have to break the ice before yeah. you drop, drop in my question. Right? Well, I think the ice has been broken because uh, we already told our listeners that this interview was supposed to happen a few weeks ago. Oh, so yeah. uh, it has been a little bit back and forth, but I'm very honored that he agreed to talk to us. Yeah. So yeah. I want to talk to him about what it is to be an international journalist and gen in general, an international in a very small and close society. So how do you make that break? Because I think we have all had an experience where we are uh, from a different place, working in a different culture, with different people, with different backgrounds. So I think this is very interesting to talk about. I want to also talk to him about his uh, drive to do what he does and how it came to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And of course, about the industry that he works in. So. Yeah how do we navigate through media today how do we actually manage the content the tons and tons of content that we are bombarded with every day and yeah. of course what's coming up so what are his views in what we can expect in how media and journalism will be changing due to world events due to technological advancements uh, of course the ai revolution so these are all things yeah. that i want to talk to him about yeah, because that's something I'm I'm seeing also in his profile, right? So, deputy head of digital products, and I yeah. I'm I'm just trying to understand is the digital products technically the the mediums that they're projecting the 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 information, the news with, for example, because I can see he's he's been an editor and journalist uh, many years ago. Whether 
it's that or whether it's actually coverage of digital products, right? Yeah. Because you mentioned AI and I'm really fascinated by AI and the topic. Um, but at the same time, I'm also wondering to what extent it actually gets to be translated into fully functional products, mm -hmm. fully functional you know, value for, for society. Yeah. And we are in a very transitional phase of this specific technology right now. But I also kind of want to delve into a bit more, you know, on the content side, right? We are now in, 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 in 2024. The world is going to shit. Um, yes, it is. Well, at least if we have to listen to uh, Martin and his, um, you know, his fellow practitioners, his fellow journalists, there's a lot of fucked up stuff going on, um, you know, giving, uh, for example, the war in uh, Israel, Palestina, as an ex example. Um, and, you know, that brings me to my next question, right? So I am uh, ethnically Armenian. A couple of years ago, there was a war in, uh, in my country, Azerbaijan uh, uh, ruthlessly attacked my people. Um, a bit less than a couple of months ago, there was a mass exodus of 120,000 Armenians from the region where they were basically the native people. And the coverage initially, so in 2020, was was so minimal, was so little. And then I, I, I can just not believe how that just went under their radar. It didn't go under the radar, right? And right after the war, Sorry, I'm going to put her in, in into uh, the daylight, but Ursula von der Leyen signed a gas deal with Azerbaijan and saying how they are a reliable gas partner. But then we found out that the gas coming from Azerbaijan is coming from the same sanctioned Russia. So these are all quite controversial political uh, topics, right? Um, so I, I think I want to kind of seize the opportunity and ask Martin kind of, you know, why do some events get more coverage? You know, and, and I understand there are political interests uh, uh, at play here, but maybe he can give a bit more insight at how that goes in practice. What happens? You know, who is there some sort of like Gestapo type of guy from the government that comes and says, hey, you guys cannot write anything about this topic or how does that work? Right. So this yeah. is what I'm interested in. Yeah. And I wonder. It's a very good question, and definitely I'll convey it exactly how you asked it. <laughs> um, uh, you, can, you can formulate it in your way. But, no, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, it's a very interesting question, and I'm sure that there is also things that we don't even think about that he's going to shed light on, yeah. especially on this topic. So I'm very excited for him to come on and to talk to us now. Me too. Hello, Martin. Welcome to Open Mic Life. Hello, thank you. How are you doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been better, I've been worse. I've just uh, just tested negative for COVID today after having it for a few days. So if you'd asked me yesterday, I was doing not amazing today, but feeling pretty good, actually. That's very good to hear. And thank you for being here. We have tried to meet a couple of times and... Um, 
it's very nice to be talking to you today after all yeah, this time. The, the most brittle immune system in the whole world. So I've been <laughs> continuously sick for, for a month. But yeah, here we are finally. I mean, you have kids, so that's one of the things that always strengthen your immune system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She brings home a lot of exotic, interesting bacteria and viruses <laughs> for us to test. Yeah. So for our listeners, please introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do. It's, it's, I've been asked that question before and it's sort of on the face of it it's it's easy to say what I do and in reality it's slightly complicated I suppose but basically yeah I'm Martin I work for RTL Luxembourg um, I am I have a French title as part of my title and I don't speak a word of French but chef d'équipe so team team lead for RTL today and sort of product lead for today radio as well and I'm also deputy head of digital products so that's all of the digital stuff at um at rtl um so in reality, a lot of heads you're wearing i know right it's it's uh it's pretty intense but it's fun would yeah. you say that you are a journalist or how do you mainly define what you do see that's that's where it becomes difficult <laughs> i do a lot of different things i would i would not say I, I honestly don't do very much reporting or writing or web editing anymore. I used to do that. Obviously, that's how I started at RTL was as a freelance web editor uh, in 2018. But now I do more, you know, a little bit of management with the with the English Today team. And I make publication decisions and, and help guide the team on what we can and can't cover and what we need to think about when we cover certain stories from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, I look, I'm, I'm more more involved in product development i would say and coming up with new ideas for for all of our digital offerings i understand so um to go a little bit back in time yeah you came to luxembourg in 2016 if i'm correct, correct. yes and less than a year later you launched the podcast on the people of luxembourg yeah so to me it seems that you not only wanted to become part of the society but also really understand it Yeah, I would say that's fair. I've, I've always been slightly that way inclined, I think. So before I even moved here, I had a, a Swedish podcast as well that went for 50-odd episodes. So I've always enjoyed sort of playing with media in that sense. Um, and then moving here, I was still working remotely for a company in London, a job that I did not much enjoy. And the remuneration was not quite in line with what you need to live in Luxembourg either. Mm -hmm. um, but my mother-in-law had said that, you know, you should go work for RTL. So I thought, well, I need to get their attention somehow. So maybe if I start a podcast, which I enjoy anyway, that could be a good way in as well. That's a very good point that you're raising because often, if not always, I ask our guests, how did you get into the industry that you're working? So what was your yeah. way in? So it was a conscious decision that you made a podcast in order to get to RTL? I mean, I thought it would help if they if they were, at that point, they didn't have an English offering yet. But I thought, you know, if that starts, because I could see the English community is growing, either they started or maybe my podcast would take off and, and I can sort of do that and then help others with podcasts and production. That was one route I was looking at. But obviously, I also started the podcast because I thought Luxembourg is pretty interesting and the mix of, of people that we have here from all over the world who come here for various reasons. I just wanted to to explore that a little bit and help people understand this strange and wonderful country. I completely agree with you. And I'm very happy to be talking to somebody who shares the same view of the country because sometimes people come here for work, they sort of get lost and not see the charm of this wonderful place where we live. 
Yeah, it seems unfortunately very, very common that. Yeah. So I think many listeners, especially the ones who are listening from Luxembourg, would be curious to learn how you succeed in a country that has such a strong local community as an international, and especially you work in a very Luxembourgish establishment. So how was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in a slightly different position to a lot of people, which is I, I didn't obviously move here because of work and go straight into one of the big four or one of the finance companies where you have this strong expat community and you never get to know the locals. And I think that's a common route and that probably leads to a lot of problems with sort of wider integration that I didn't have. Um, I came here because my wife, my now wife, then girlfriend is from here. She got a job here after university was supposed to be for only a year and then she'd moved back to Edinburgh where we where we met and had lived together previously but you know her career started taking off and then I decided to follow so I was sort of integrated with the locals quite quickly because her family are locals I had no choice but to learn to slowly sort of pick up bits of Luxembourgish and start to understand it and and get to know the actual native populace if you will mm -hmm. so I had a, an easier entry point that way I think And then in terms of, of working for RTL, and which is extremely Luxembourgish, actually, um, it's also, um, I have to say, RTL is, I'm not here to market my, my employer or anything, but it's a very, very open place to work. So while most people speak Luxembourgish day to day, some people only speak French as well. Everyone is open to just switching to whatever language you prefer. And, and and give you opportunities, even if you don't speak the, the more common languages of, of management or whatever, they, they'll adapt and, and let you grow anyway. So that's, very lucky in that regard. That's wonderful to hear, really, because I think uh, that's another, maybe a myth to de debunk about uh, the essence of Luxembourgish establishments and companies that, in fact, they are open to internationals. And as you said, you started the English division there, from what I understand. Um, I didn't start it. So it was started by Lisa Burke and um, Natasha. They they pitched it to, to RTL, basically, that they would start RTL today. And it launched in, I think, March 2018. And then I joined in April, May, something like that. Have you seen more of a development in that area? So did the, this division grow quickly? Do you see in the numbers that you have a lot of, uh, like a growing audience of international people? Oh, um, for sure. Undoubtedly. So when we started, I mean, I can't share all of our stats. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but I can say that when we started, uh, we had sort of three, four months in when we were a little bit established, maybe on a good day, 700 to 1000 people would visit every day. And, and we are talking double digit multiples of that now. Wow. So, so, so it has grown massively. And obviously, during COVID, it was absolutely insane as well to somehow There seemed to be 10 times as many people, many people who spoke English and, and we would have 50, 60, 70,000 people uh, in a day coming in for, for updates. Now, obviously, the, the appetite for news in normal times is uh, not quite that ravenous, but uh, still very, very good. Yeah. Which is why we decided to launch an English radio as well, for example. I think that shows that it is where growth is in the media industry, industry here in Luxembourg at the moment is in, in, uh, in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very fair point. And yeah. before we go back to um, talking more of the societal aspect, it must be quite rewarding to see such a growth in only five years in what you're doing, no? Oh, immensely. It, yeah, it's 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 extremely rewarding. Because I think if, if we were just 
hitting up against the wall and 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 constantly being unable to to get to another target that would be quite demotivating probably um exactly. but that's really not what we're seeing and it's nice when you start to do something and it grows so quickly because for five years that is quite rapid from yeah. uh, what you said that you can really see that there was an appetite for that and actually a need yeah yeah and even even beyond that i mean what i found personally even more rewarding than the numbers obviously we need the numbers to make money and and to survive and pay salaries but <laughs> The community that's sort of grown around it as well and the, the level of interaction that we get with with our audience is uh, is possibly my my favorite thing especially then previously when i was actually more hands-on with the website and i would be the one moderating comments and engaging with people in facebook comments under our posts and everything but we very rapidly saw the development of this sort of quite big group of people who would interact with us and, and talk to us and chat with us and have little in jokes and and just be part of it all and that was really nice as well it's great because this brings me back to the topic of community and society yeah so in one of your opinion articles you wrote oh, that during <laughs> you wrote during COVID, uh you discussed the division of society yeah so the motto of my alma mater is understanding society And mm -hmm. this has always been kind of a cornerstone to anything that I sort of get inspired by. So how important is it, in your opinion, to understand society in order to be a good journalist, in order to create good media? How do you check the pulse? I, I think it's the most important part of the job. Um, in fact, I had a, we have a lot of new editors and, and journalists working for RTL today now. So just yesterday, I had a team meeting with all of them to sort of go over the, the basics of our approach and how we should work in the future. And the key takeaway that I wanted them to, to walk away with is that we have to get back to, to engaging even more with uh, the wider community of expats in particular, since that's who we serve. Um, again, because we, we used to do it even more than we do now. It became slightly more difficult during COVID and, and everything because it was so stressful and, and hectic, the, the job. Um, but to really serve the, the community and their interests, we, we have to understand them. So that's engaging in, you know, all of the various Facebook groups. If, if we're just talking on the digital side, parents in Luxembourg, expats in Luxembourg, uh, dog owners in Luxembourg, whatever it is, and, and Reddit and just be all over the place and constantly read what people have to say, what they're asking about, what they're concerned about. Often what they say media isn't reporting on, because that's a common criticism that we see is that Luxembourgish media is a bit toothless, people say, and, and don't report on the difficult things or on the lived experience of, of people. So that's something that we, we constantly need to address. And then obviously actually being out on the street as well, just, just talking to people, asking them things and engaging with them physically is, uh, is equally very important because you get a, a different take. People are slightly different online to, uh, to in real life, so to speak, I think. 100%. So you would say good old desk research and just getting out and talking to people. Yeah, a bit of yeah. both. Yeah. And Luxembourg is a great place to be able to do that because you don't have to travel very far, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, yeah. It's relatively limited uh, travel distances, yeah. Yeah. So you said in the beginning that you don't write many articles, but in fact, I have mm. read a lot of your, especially opinion pieces. I and... used to be a prolific opinion and general <laughs> writer, yeah. <laughs> but it was also because, you know, when I started, there was essentially... Um, very, I mean, the, the resources we had were so limited that there was one person working at a time. Uh, now we have obviously several people on duty mm -hmm. uh, concurrently, but 
so so you had to do you just had to do everything if you we didn't produce content in. there was no exactly. content so yeah. we just had to go for it well i would like to read a paragraph from one of your articles oh my my hands are sweating now okay <laughs> <laughs> what year is it from what year is it from i'll let you guess i'll let you guess <laughs> okay so in an ideal world there would be a forum where all could be discussed openly where all views could be heard where any concern could be answered and where perfect evidence could be presented the truth whatever it is would prevail and all would be well unfortunately we don't live in an ideal world so my question is is this ideal world of an open forum for a discussion what inspires your work and do you sometimes go back to that thought Oh, 100%. Okay, I'm glad you found something that I still agree with. I don't think that's that old, is it? Um, no, it's... no. So so what I'm referring to is that obviously, I, I think, I can't remember what the context of the article is, but we do have a problem on the internet um, and, and in society broadly, I think, where everyone wants to censor that with which they don't agree. And, and I detest that approach. Now, obviously, we have comment guidelines on RTL, um, which preclude certain, certain debates, um, I'm not, yeah, well, I shouldn't comment too much on that, I suppose. But, you know, you, you obviously can't go in and be racist in our comments mm -hmm. um, because uh, that's that's not allowed and it, in fact, could land us in legal trouble. But my greater point is that I think people should ideally be allowed to debate absolutely anything they want. But then there should also be the burden of evidence to to support whatever you're saying. And, and people should be open to then being proven wrong, which in the instance of racism, for example, they would be every single time since there is no evidence of any any uh, fundamental differences in capability between any races and, and all of that nonsense. Um, but that's that's not the world we live in. It's uh, true. I think people, 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 frankly, aren't responsible enough oftentimes. We saw that a lot during COVID. Uh, obviously, the, the amount of misinformation that was spread during COVID was absolutely astounding. Internationally, it was 10 times worse than, than in Luxembourg. But even here, we had people, I remember one comment in particular, this was early on during COVID, there was someone who said that pregnant women's immune system is stronger, thus they will never need a vaccination because they'll be able to just fight off any any virus that comes their mm -hmm. way. So they should just go out there and embrace the world in, with their <laughs> pregnancy. And in fact, science says the very opposite. Your, your immune system is severely compromised when you are pregnant. So if anything, you would be a higher risk, uh, at higher risk of, of infection and then complications. Mm -hmm. So that's a fundamentally unsafe and, and dangerous thing to, to spread around, that sort of misinformation. And the person who, who espoused it, um, I'm obviously not going to name them, even if I do remember their name, mm -hmm. would not be proven wrong. So they, they, they left a lot of similar malinformed uh, comments. We try to direct them to actual evidence and they don't accept it. So what can you do? Exactly. And I think this is another aspect probably of your profession that only came about since social media, that in fact, now everybody has a media and everybody can act as voicing their opinion without having to adhere to a code of conduct of be it their uh, general profession, their employer, anything like this. So you have a whole other, I wouldn't say group of peers, but a whole other group of people who think that they have the same platform and right to say whatever they want to. Yeah, yeah. Another source of influence on people's minds, essentially, which, again, can be a very good thing, because I think we do need media plurality, and, and we do need people to be able to, to voice their opinions and everything. I think 
on a basic plane that's 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 a good development i don't disagree with it in any way but it's unfortunately also has downsides like everything so in a few articles to go back a little bit uh to luxembourg you discuss for example the housing crisis and this is an ever so hot topic not only here but really something that everybody's consumed with talks about and is important to them yeah and there is a point when you to an extent comment and criticize the approach of luxembourgish politicians mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem at all that you abstain from voicing your opinion on a topic that is so uh, high in importance and have you ever struggled with deciding between voicing your opinion or catering to an influential group of people absolutely not no um th- that is actually that's another source of frustration for me personally is that Often people will comment and say that uh, oh, RTL would never say that because they toe the line of government and, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, no, that's that's untrue. We, we don't have to report to anyone. We don't have to censor ourselves in that regard. We, we're very free to express our opinion. The difference is that we can't in a news article um, where the byline is RTL, for example, uh, voice those opinions. There we have to be neutral. But obviously, in opinion articles and articles of that nature, we 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 are not constricted by 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 that sort of neutrality clause that we have to have when reporting actual news. Um, so I've never hesitated to to voice my opinion in that regard. I mean, I it was during COVID as well. There was the um, the the infamous case of the the board of directors at the Robert Schumann Hospital mm-hmm. getting vaccinated uh, out of turn simply because they could, and and the member of the board there was also. Uh, on the board of, of RTL, for example, so obviously a very influential person. But again, uh, I went after him in an opinion like I would absolutely anyone else. So no, I wouldn't say we ever have to hold back on uh, on, on expressing our actual views in the right forum. Did this have any implications after that? Did somebody no. say something for you? No, you? no, 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 they wouldn't dare. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. So at no point in your career did you feel this pressure? I mean, I I think it's admirable that you uh, don't do it, of course. But I think especially when a person is younger and starting out in a company or in a profession, sometimes they could think, oh, maybe this time I should be quiet. Maybe next time I can voice my opinion. No, I, I, to be honest, I've always been quite confident in my opinions and I'm not going to utter one if I'm not confident that that I actually believe in, in what I'm saying and that it is um, subjectively the truth as I see it, at least if mm-hmm. it's an opinion article. Um, and RTL has, for example, has always been very supportive of that as well. So I, I've felt that I've, I've had the backing I need to to do that sort of, uh, of work. And similarly, then now that as I've progressed a little bit in my career, um i'm in a position where younger journalists and, and and web editors come in and might want to write opinions and we've had a few fairly controversial ones about political matters by them as well um and i've always supported it the, the one thing i say is if you want to be be sure that your article comes across as you want it i will read it first and, and give you an edit and give you suggestions i'm not going to change your argument but i will poke at it if i think it's weak in places so you can improve it before the great public masses uh, descend upon it and tear it to pieces, mm-hmm. as is sometimes the case. Of course. And what advice would you give to young journalists who have received this kind of pressure? It's, it's, it's difficult. I think, I mean, I, I could see it 
I could see it being the case in, in for certain publications, perhaps that they have more pressure than in other places if they're more politically aligned to a certain direction. Uh, obviously, we again are, are neutral, so we we can prod wherever we want. Mm -hmm. um, if, if it's something that they're continuously bumping up against, then it might simply be that they have to find a different outlet for their for their work. Is, is all I can think of, really. And and there's always the option of, of writing for for blogs and and or starting a blog or sharing your opinion elsewhere if you think it's something that needs to be out there. Mm -hmm. But so you have to you have to you have to be able to stand up for your opinion as well. So there have certainly been instances where people might bring me a pitch for for a story or something, and I said oh, I don't see the value of spending time on that. Mm -hmm. And you can either take that lying down, or you can tell me, well, actually, uh, you old fart. For younger people, that's uh, that is relevant, and I do want to write about it because I think it will resonate with people and just simply convince me that I'm wrong. And I'm a good a good sort of editor or a good manager would be would be open to that. Of course. Very nice, very nice. I think it's, it, this is very, very valuable for people to hear because especially when it comes to your opinion, sometimes you could feel isolated and um, if it's not being supported for you to voice it, it could even bring you to the point of doubting it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's where you have to be. You have to be sure yourself that you, you believe in it. But I think equally, you also have to be open to the fact that Maybe upon hearing hearing criticism or feedback on your opinion or on your article idea or, or your project idea, if we make it a bit more general, um, you, you might want to reconsider. So maybe you maybe you actually were wrong. I think that's important yeah. as well. Yeah, you have to take it uh, whichever way it goes. The feedback. And this is something I think we have a very hard time with um, admitting nowadays. If you're wrong. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never experienced it personally, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mentioned to you earlier that the art of rhetoric is an inspiration behind this podcast. And I would like to talk a little bit about the record, uh, the rhetoric you use and why. Right. So I have noticed that occasionally you end a paragraph with an open question when you write. Mm. Is this something conscious you do? And if so, why? I think it, it often is. I think it can be a good way of underscoring a point because it sort of opens the possibility for the more engaged reader to actually take a step back and 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 think about their own position before they proceed with the rest of the argument. Because I think usually when I do that, then in the next paragraph, I will sort of give my answer um, mm -hmm. would be my, my standard approach to it. But I think it's it's good for people to to stop and think. And a question mark is very powerful in that regard because people hold their own opinion very high and if you ask for their opinion by giving them that question mark, they will slow down their reading, hopefully, for just a second or two, which is all it takes to really think about something in your own mind and, and arrive at your own conclusion um, before you proceed to read whatever I have to, to espouse. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And it is, yeah, because you're basically in this way creating a dialogue with your audience too, no? Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, especially in opinion side. I like to make sure that all of the writing comes across not as a news article, not factual, not uh, neutral or in any way, you know, too corporately polished. But it's actually me. It's it's my voice because it's my opinion. It's my name on that thing. It's my picture that's associated with it. So I want essentially my personality to come through uh, okay. in how I write. I have noticed very uh, often that you use clear and sober language so you don't overcomplicate things and 
is this something that you consciously do in order to make your pieces more accessible? And do you think that sometimes in today's media, this is a point that is being missed sometimes? It's a good question. I've actually had the opposite feedback as well. Um, mm. my, my wife often says that, you know, why do you use these complicated words? When you use, <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Why don't you say yeah. it that way? That would be easier. Um, no, I do. I do try to. I mean, obviously, there's always when you're writing and if you enjoy writing, there's always if you're of my sort of uh, personality type anyway, there's a temptation to to flourish and, and, and go for longer sentences than are strictly required and maybe a slightly broader vocabulary than you actually need to get your point across. Mm -hmm. But Luxembourg is a country where most people who read our news source in English are not native English speakers. They are Swedish, like me, they're Romanian, Hungarian, Polish, German, whatever they may be. Uh, they don't speak French, they don't speak Luxembourgish, presumably, and therefore English is their go-to language, or maybe that's just a language they're most comfortable with, so they read the news in that language. And whether it's an opinion article or a, or a news piece, we have to make sure that it's, it's understandable, uh, even if English perhaps is not uh, quite a native level for, for most of our audience. I agree. I agree completely. And I myself, especially when talking to, for example, my brother <laughs> or somebody like this when we're arguing and yeah. I get on and on and he's like, just get to your point. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, sometimes, you know, putting because my background is in law. So oftentimes oh, yeah. I put a lot of disclaimers before I actually <laughs> say something, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it does. Um not help with getting your point across. But my uh, perception, especially of some of your opinion articles has been that you use this kind of language. And it seems to me that you use it oftentimes when you really want to be understood so that people uh, get your point across and it makes them think and even engages them in the conversation. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that feedback because that is precisely what I'm trying to do. <laughs> And also trying to keep opinions short. So I'm a naturally quite, especially in writing, I'm a very verbose person by nature. So I tend to, to just write and write and write and write and write. But attention spans, um, you know, don't necessarily allow for the average reader to get through 2000 oh, words true. when 400 would be sufficient. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But in the same time, while uh, I have seen these sentences from you, I also saw a very nice red thread of when you draw inspiration from Greek philosophy by citing mythology and you also sometimes draw philosophical conclusions. So I was wondering, is this another thing that you're interested in or something you draw inspiration from? Oh, you discovered my pretentious side as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, is, it is a little bit. So before, before moving here, uh, I for a long time thought I was going to be an academic. So after my undergraduate degree, I started a PhD um, and did some teaching and, and a couple of years of, of uh, research as well. That's so interesting. Um, and that was very, very, very philosophical in, in nature, even though the subject area was actually broadly in, in the realm of marketing. Um, what I looked at was well, it falls under consumer culture theory. And then I looked at the concept of authenticity as applied to a strict setting. So I looked at specifically what makes for an authentic 
pub, which is obviously as a sort of 22 year old, an absolutely marvelous research setting for a bit of autoethnographic <laughs> auto uh, research. Um, but in defining authenticity, you have to get very, very philosophical. Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. In the end, I decided for, for various reasons to drop the PhD and hand it in as an MPhil instead. Um, but I was very immersed in that world. And it's something I, I absolutely do enjoy. I, I love that sort of depth of, of thinking, but it's yeah. not something I have much time for now. But every once in a while, it comes in handy. Yeah, and it's a very, very, very nice, as I said, red thread that you can notice in your pieces. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week on Open Mic Life.